Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, and I'm Craig Shapiro. Welcome to our second episode of Under Review, and we've got a great show for you. One of the more unique personalities in the game. He had an illustrious junior career, played a couple years at Stanford, had a more than solid pro career, achieving career highs of 42 in singles and 10 in doubles. He more recently has coached Maria Sharapova, Andre Medvedev, and Eunice Elanawi, and highfalutin such as George Soros. He was also thrown out of Wimbledon. The one and only Jeff Taranga. I was social chairman of my fraternity, and so it was my day to pick up the cups after the party. We'd had a rager, and I was picking up all these smelly, dirty cups, and I flipped the TV on our big TV at the Kappa Sigma fraternity house, and... Edberg was playing Chang in the finals of the French Open, and Chang won. And I had a 13-1 record against Chang and the juniors. And I threw the freaking cups down on the, on the floor and left school. That was it, man. I'm out of here. I'm, if that guy's winning the French, I'm turning pro right this second. So I should say, uh, I think Jeff and I, we met probably in 1997 when I was uh, a tennis racket stringer and Jeff was right in the pocket of his career. And since then we've maintained our friendship. In fact, I produced his retirement piece at the U S open. We shot him uh, with a margarita in his hand at the bar. <laughs> and uh, that was going that off was, into the sunset, right? Baby? Yeah. He walked off into the sunset. That was pretty good. In an effort to keep things moving and hit a wide variety of issues and stories, we're trying to implement a five-segment format that we call the best of five. The first set is our off-the-court report. Second set is on the court, and Jeff will break down the U.S. Open. Third set, we're going to talk about Jeff's most notorious career moment. Fourth set is our rapid-fire staccato 10-ball scramble. And the fifth set, we will play a game called Guess the Prize Money. Moving into our first set, this is the off-the-court report. So, Jeff, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to and just take us through your summer. All right. Well, I became the director of tennis at the Jack Kramer Club. The high school girls right now are about to have tryouts to see who makes varsity and junior varsity. So I've been getting them ready. There's been a lot of junior tournaments this summer. I have five kids, but my boys, 10 and 8, have been playing a lot of tennis this summer, going to the academy at the club. And then after they've played their tennis, they get to do water slides at the pool and diving boards and all that fun stuff all day. Just a great summer yeah, for kids there's, there's as a Jack a, Kramer. Yeah. They're and the Jack Kramer, by the way, is like, you know, going back in time. And that's it like is. an old school. Yeah. It looks like it was opened in 1972. Jack, Jack, yeah. Jack Kramer and Vic Braden founded it in 1973. I mean, they haven't changed a thing. You get a no, you get new like paint. A, we got all new paint. You get like a four dollar cheeseburger yep. at the snack bar, <laughs> courts, yep. all tennis, all side day. of fries for like a buck twenty five. Side of fries. <laughs> um, have you seen any of the new tennis movies? Yeah, I have. A did talent. you see Borg McEnroe? Yeah. What did you think? I liked it. We saw it. I think like seven times in one week. First, I watched it with my wife. Then we watched it with our kids like three times. And then we had a guest over one night, and we watched it again. I have to my say. My wife laughs w- at me every time because it gets to the tiebreaker, and she says I start getting tense, and I start fidgeting, and I start, like, getting my racket and fidgeting with my own strings. And she's like, how do you get so tight? You know you know what's going to happen. And I'm like, well, maybe this time it'll be different. 
<laughs> Every time. <laughs> What did you think of Shia's performance as John? I thought that was certainly the weakest. Well, I don't think anybody could really portray John other than John. But you have to at least I try. thought he did a good you job. To, oh, you did? Yeah, I did. 95% of the people don't know how John is day in, day out. So I think he did a good job in that that was probably 40% of John McEnroe, right? I mean, you wanted to see the sweat. You wanted to see, you know, the fidgeting more. You wanted to see some of the... The, the nightlife, you wanted to see some of the stuff that was going on that wasn't quite in the film. But I thought you got but a I taste. I thought he did a good job. I thought you got a taste. Yeah. I thought the Vetus scenes were good. I thought so too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that that was um, highly watchable. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, um, for the for our our whole lives, there was no such thing as a good tennis movie. And... Um, in just this past year. Yeah, and then you had Battle of the Sexes. Which is totally fun watch. We took I had no I problem took my family with to the theater to watch it. We didn't even wait for it to get no notes. No. no notes. It was a good movie. Yeah. I liked yeah. it. I actually talked to uh Alana Klaus about the whole portrayal of Jack Kramer in that uh movie because they kind of made him the bad guy. They sure did. And and she was like, Hey, you know, it's Hollywood. They had to have a bad guy. It's just the way Hollywood does movies and you know, Billie Jean had a lot of respect for Jack, and but they, the, the, but he, the reality but he, but he, of it. No, but the reality was they, they, that at at some juncture things were different, but he was stiffing them. Yeah, and, and period. Well, the way he handled it was was a little chauvinistic, but at the time, from Jack's perspective, he was starting a business and he couldn't lose money because he was splitting the money with the players. And one week they were bankrupt, the next week they had money. One week they were bankrupt, the next week they were money. And to take on a whole nother tour at that point, he wouldn't have made it. I do think that that film um, really um, explained. But did you know the that Billie Jean, the- Billie Jean and Jack Kramer were co referees at the first Olympic Games for tennis in 84 in Los Angeles? Together. They, yeah, together. The Jack, they asked Jack to be the referee, and he said only if, if Billie Jean will be the co-referee. And that's how they kind of made amends and, and did fences. a lot of biz, business together afterwards. Now, moving into our second set, I want to talk about current pro tennis. I want to talk about what we can expect moving into the U.S. Open. Yeah. Well, my, my current wife, Jessica, she... Reminded me, she's the statistician of the family. She's a computer programmer and cyber technology and all this stuff, cyber security. And she reminded me this morning that there's no definitive number one at the end of the year yet, that it's still open. That if someone like Zarev or Del Potro or even I think down to number seven were to to clean house, in other words, win the U.S. Open and win a couple more 1000s they could be number one and there hasn't actually been anybody clenched into the world championships yet the parody for both the men's and women's tour is making it such a guessing game every week that you can hardly get a $20 bet on on oh I think Zarev's gonna win the US Open and you everybody's like what are you talking about like this guy's gonna win the US Open another person says oh you know Nadal's gonna win the US Open oh no way Federer's gonna win the US Open well let's what talk are you about- you're leaving Djokovic out of the conversation like what are you doing let's find so let's try to find a little <laughs> structure here let's start with the women okay who can win seven matches in a row well Venus I would say could. No. Why do you say no? She's been in the finals of three slams she's, in the last two years. She's hobbled and is just not. No. Okay. Well, you're, okay. are you the expert now? 
<laughs> listen, I watch a lot of listen, by by the way, um I don't miss a lot of matches. I don't either. What women can win seven matches in two weeks? Uh, Simona Halep, who wins 14 matches in two weeks. I mean, they've been making her play twice a week and can't play twice a day in Canada. And she's been complaining about the scheduling. But, you know, they play every other day in a slam. And I think that that uh, makes a big difference as opposed to playing every but day. But hold on. So she can win seven. She can win seven. Now, I saw Sharapova play Kasatkina a couple of days ago. And I hadn't seen Maria. Ostapenko completely. I hadn't seen Sharapova play so well in, I don't think, my life. Right. But then the third day, she couldn't do it. But then she came back the next day to play. Well, she won two matches really easily. And then the third day, she didn't do so well. Well, she she came on the court against um, the French girl Garcia, Uh Caroline Garcia. Started really well. And then I thought she, I think she just kind of thought about it. <laughs> like, oh, I'm playing so well. It felt like she <laughs> thought about it and then it was, yeah. she couldn't hit a ball. Yeah. But. Don't uh, think it hurts the ball club, Maria. You don't think Ostap, you don't think Ostap, you think Ostapenko so is play still seven. dangerous? Yeah. I think, I think Caroline Garcia is ready to play seven matches. Um, I think there's a lot. Because that's out really. There. The th- Azarenka could surprise us. She's boiling to, to have Can a Can Serena win seven matches? In the New York Heat, if if they did scheduling right, yeah, she could. Is what have you? What are your what are your sources telling you about her? Is she playing? Is she practicing and playing hard? Yeah, yeah, she's trying to get back in total shape. I mean, my impression was the goal is to win Wimbledon next year in uh, 2019, and getting to the finals this year was a surprise, but it was like welcomed because. If she could get to the finals this year, watch out next year. I mean, that's just craziness. Who can win seven in the men? Alexander Zurev. I don't think so. All right, I'll put a friendly five on it right now with you. You can't teach best six of, six, what, man. You can't teach. What six, is the best? What is it about best of five? Think in- about it. Okay, I think it's tougher now because the points are longer. But it used to be in my day, it was basically like you're running at 10k at your best time. You get a day off and you run another 10K. And you have to do that seven times. Now, no marathoner, no triathlete, nobody can do that. But these tennis players are asked to do that. So it all comes down to not are you dead and are you tired? It's can you push yourself beyond that point of pain? Do you have the desire more than anybody else in the draw to do that to yourself? Who does? That's the person you have to pick. I mean, I don't even think Nadal being the most competitive athlete, not just tennis player, in the planet, I'm not even sure he can sustain that anymore. Do you see my point? Like, I'm not even sure Federer can sustain that. So it's it's almost like a last man standing scenario when you're playing these five setters day in, day out. Who else can I mean who 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 can win seven matches? Well, Delpo can because he plays kind of the 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 possum. Well, and he's, he's done it. There. And he's done it uh, several times. And he's and he likes the heat. Well, he's done it. Yeah, right? he he's won, from he Argentina. The heat doesn't really bother him. Sure, it, it tires him out, but it doesn't kill him. You know, he recovers. It seems like quicker than everybody else. What can, what can you tell us about? Wait, so you gave Kevin us, Anderson could do it. Kevin Anderson's not losing a lot of matches. No, these and days. he's fired up. I love his new attitude and, of I'm going to act exactly like Nadal. I'm going to beat Nadal, and I'm going to get results like Nadal, and it's happening. Kevin Anderson is not losing a lot of matches these <laughs> days. That's well, that's why I put him on the list, Craig. Remember the expert. Marin Silla's not losing a lot of matches. 
He gets tied. He's won the U.S. Open, though, so theoretically he shouldn't choke there. Can Monfils put seven matches together? Monfils? Yeah. Well, everybody says he's the most talented player in the draw. Can, can Kyrgios put seven matches together? What's his like, problem? If you want to talk talent versus what's his, but what's his problem? fortitude. Well, Kyrgios can't We know put, Djokovic can put seven matches together, but can his body hold up all summer up until then? I, mean, I think we should. I want to get away from Delpo. You know, I mean, the guy coming back from three wrist surgeries, and he's got a game that knocks you out. He's just he's got the knockout blow, and he uses it more than once. He doesn't just get you with the undercut once. He he does it about five six times a set. Yeah, Scott was Scott maintains that he's curious to know if it's if it's generational that these guys are on their phones, playing video games to the point of no return, and that's why you're not seeing any of these young guys that look unbelievably talented be able to win seven. Well, I think it's it's maybe it's a good question because it's one of those things where in development, when you're trying to get a kid to that level, I think it hurts because you're not getting them on the court as much because they've got all these distractions off the court. But I think once you get to the tour – which can be a pretty lonely, quiet place when, you know, you're talking about 128 different universes of players. Like each player is in his own little universe. He's got to stay in his room. He's got to rest up. You know, the Bryan brothers used to travel with their video game machine. Andy Murray travels with his video game machine. Now everybody can do it on their tablets and their phones. I think it's actually good for the players and distracting and keeping them away from thinking about the tennis once they're on the tour. But getting them there to the tour, I don't think it helps. But it doesn't seem like... I mean, I was a big Space Invaders junkie when I was a kid, you know. Played a lot of Space Invaders when I was waiting for my court time. Moving into set three, we're just going to get right into it and discuss what's really one of the most notorious moments in tennis history. It was Wimbledon 1995. Jeff took the court against a German, Alexander Morans, who most notably had been dating Steffi Graf. The list of characters are as follows. Chair umpire Bruno Rabot, tournament referee Alan Mills, court supervisor Gilbert Isern, and Jeff's first wife, Benedict. You were kicked out of Wimbledon. Well, no, I walked out. You walked out. Yeah. There's a big difference existentially, Craig. You should look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why don't you go ahead and just tell our audience the story, and then we can move on from this. Well, I woke up in the morning to play a third-round match at Wimbledon. I won two rounds in doubles, won two rounds in singles, won two rounds in mixed, and was a three-to-one favorite to beat... Alexander Morans. I knew it was going to be a tough match because I'd lost to him in Korea. But uh, the side note was that nine months before that, I had filed an appeal to the ATP that Bruno Rabot's fixing matches and that Bruno Rabot was um, influencing matches and that Bruno Rabot was going to dinner and having cocktails with players on a regular basis and that I wanted him to be investigated. And Thomas Carlsberg and Gilbert Yusern both took my written complaint and they asked me to not go to the press with it. And they promised that he would never be in my chair again. So we get to Wimbledon third round and lo and behold, who's in the chair, but Alexander Moranz's best friend, Bruno Rabot. And I called the official because before the match starts, you can get a chair umpire replaced. And I called the supervisor 
And Gilbert Yusserne came to the court and said, no, we're not going to replace him. You need to play. And I said, but you know I filed a complaint against this guy, a legitimate complaint that's being investigated, so he shouldn't be in my chair. And he said, you have to play. Well, I got, there was probably eight, nine overrules and two um, foot faults. Uh, I think there was uh, a couple times where I would serve an ace and he would overrule it and give Bronze a let. No, 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 no. I've seen it on TV a million times. That's an ace. You know, it was just a bunch of non-calls and calls that probably gave him eight to 12 points in one set. So then when problems started happening, and I called the supervisor again, and a different supervisor came. Can you call the supervisor, please? I have a big beef. And I said, well, why are you the supervisor of this court? He said, I am the supervisor of this court. I said, well, then why did Gilbert Yusserne come to the court before the match? No, I want Gilbert. Call back, please. So you thought you were getting jobs. He goes, well, I know nothing of Gilbert Yusserne being in this area. He shouldn't have been. This is my assigned area. He shouldn't have said a word to you. It's my place. I should have talked to you about it. I said, okay, we'll replace him then. And he said, I know nothing about your appeal. I know nothing about your complaints about this guy, so I can't replace him. Well, so about- at some point you had riled up the fans around the court and you told them to well, shut up. Court 13 was, was always a little riled up. It was kind of the design of the court. It's since been bombed, and they made uh, court two out of it. Um, but yeah, the German fans were always a little ruckus at Wimbledon. Is that what it was? The German fans were giving it to you? Yeah, and I just turned in the middle of my toss. Every time I tossed it up, there was, was a different guy in the crowd screaming every time. And the, I asked the chair umpire if he'd ask him to be quiet when I was tossing the ball up, and he said no, he wouldn't. So then I asked him to shut up. No, this is it. I'm no, no, I'm not playing. No way. No Let's way. Play. Let's play. You are the most corrupt official in the game, and you can't do that. Court violation, verbal abuse, point penalty, no Mr. Sando. That's it! Game on. Um, and then, famously, you took you left the court. Yep, I left the court. Went, actually went straight up to Alan Mills' office and said, I'll go back and play and finish the match if you replace the chair umpire. And he said, well, he's already defaulted you. I go, for what? He said, time violation. I go, well, what about his violations? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. So I explained it to him. And I said, okay, do me a favor. Just ask two questions for me. And Alan's like, okay, I'm an ex-player. I get it. I'll, I'll uh, entertain that. I'll ask those two questions. So he called uh, Bruno Rabot in. And I was in the other room with the door cracked open so I could hear. And the lawyer is present. And he said, do you know that Jeff Tarango had an appeal against you in an investigation about you fixing matches and being friends with the players and going to dinner with them and that stuff. And he's like, yes, I did. So Bruno Rabot left, and then he calls Gilbert Yusserne in. And he said, did you go to court 13 and tell Jeff that he had to play with that chair umpire? He said, yes, I did. He said, were you assigned to that court as a supervisor? He said, no, I wasn't. He said, what business did you have there? He said, oh, well, I knew about the appeal, and I was reminding Jeff that he's not allowed to bring it up. Then Alan turned and the plot thickens. sends him out. Alan brought me back into the office and he said, I'm really sorry, Jeff. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. And he put it in his book. And then you went to a press conference. I first of all said I didn't want to do the press conference at all, that I just wanted to get out of there. And they said they were going to fine me 10,000 pounds if I didn't go to the press conference. And I said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. 
And so I went to the press conference. I was going to literally answer one question with a word no and get up and leave. And the first question was to my wife, well, did did you hit the, the chair umpire? And she said, you're damn right I did. Last hand, is that correct? Yes, I did. And I'm not, and I don't think it's bad. I think it's good because this guy deserves a lesson at some point. He can do whatever he wants because he's on the chair. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Players have no, nobody to defend them in any situation. <laughs> Yeah, what are you going to do? But hold on a second, though, but so then you hit the papers hard the next morning, right? Yeah, it was pretty much Can you much explain everywhere. that? Well, yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of press. I mean, nobody ever heard of such a thing in tennis, especially at Wimbledon. Is that a fact that uh, that there was an anti-corruption uh Yeah, that's when committee. they started the anti-corruption committee because they realized that they there was going to be a problem ensuing if— Players thought that matches were being fixed and that Cherim, they, they called them the French Mafia. There was a slew of um, umpires. And then what happened was everybody was calling me crazy rather than they were kind of wagging the dog by calling me crazy. And then that same summer, that gymnastics debacle happened where the French umpires were literally fixing the gymnastics as well. And so it came to light that sports needed to start anti-corruption committees in their own sports. And it took about five years for them to get the protocols and get the actual people on the seats because there wasn't really anybody that wanted to be on the anti-corruption committee. But the most significant thing about your Wimbledon is that you've you've gone from persona non grata to a beloved broadcaster. Yeah, I've been working for BBC now for 15 years, and I played in the Legends Invitational event this year with Patrick McEnroe, which was an honor and a privilege. Uh, moving on, we're going to get into our fourth set, okay? Mm -hmm. This is what I call the 10-ball scramble. We're going to play real quick rapid-fire word association. Okay. We're going to get your thoughts. All right. Laver Cup. Love it. Because it's like the Ryder Cup for golf. Davis Cup. I like the adaptation, and I like the fact that they secured that $4 billion sponsor, baby. You like it? I like it. Can it all live? I think the, Cup the one Dave thing that Davis Cup needs to do is they need to give the championship teams buys. The, the, the team that got to the finals and the winner, they need to get a buy. Larry Ellison. He's doing great. Bring a challenger to the Jack Kramer Club, baby. Katrina Adams. Four more years. Four more years. She's you, doing great. Why? Because she's a player that identifies with the players. She's getting things done. She's had her charity in Harlem for all these years before she was president of the USTA. So she gets the nonprofit and where it needs to go. They're not just squandering the money anymore with the executives. Arlen Cantarian. Is he making a comeback? No, no. I just, I just, <laughs> you just threw that, that out there, yeah. blast from the past? Yeah. I saw him a couple of years ago. He's looking pretty good. He's aging well. But when the story, when the when the when the book's written, isn't it? It wasn't him who really brought the U.S. Open into the into the upper echelon of of of, of all events, not just tennis. He basically Deloitte and touched the U.S. Open as much as he could. Made everything better. Made it the place so it wasn't just it was a dump, and it, he made it a classy place to be. Nick Kyrgios. 
Crazy man. Nick Kyrgios is the talent that doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't have a compass. He doesn't have a rudder. He's just in a ship, and I don't even know where he's going. But I like watching him play. Do you know I don't him? want to miss one of his matches. Have you, have you spoken with him? No. You don't know him? Well, I've talked to him a couple times, but it's not like I've sat down and said, what's going on in that tinker, man? <laughs> uh, Jan Tiriak. Still the leader of the game. Great leader. Fewer words now than he used to. Um, I still love the fact that he used to line kids up 3,000 in a line. They'd all hit one tennis ball, and then he'd pick the national team. But based off that, to me, that's the classic. And he's picked Becker, Vilas, Ivanisevic, Safin, as his, were his four choices of players that he was going to sponsor so far. Pretty good track record. Tomas Schmid. Tomas Schmid. Goodness gracious. He's actually someone should utilize him as a coach now that you bring it up. It, rather than Zarev hiring someone like Lendl, he should hire someone like Thomas Schmidt. That'd be a, a nice little uh, reduced salary fee, but you get the same bang for your buck. Appearance fees. I don't know. I I think that they have to be allowed because it's too hard to regulate. But, you know, the prize money's good, so I don't think they have to give as much uh, guarantees. But at the same time, the agents aren't going to turn guarantees down. And the t- and I think that the TV companies should be paying the guarantees, not the tournaments. Prize money. It's going up. It's finally got to the place where it should have been in 2000 when we were saying that we needed to do revenue sharing. So it's finally gotten up there. They raised all the tournaments 7% again this year. So I think the Grand Slams have realized that – for example, the U.S. Open series, that players want to make the Grand Slam so badly that it really promotes the Slam. It makes the Slam this higher echelon tournament rather than just another tournament. Moving into set five, we're going to play a game called Guess the Prize Money. Um, prize money is interesting to us. We think it's nuanced and, and kind of weird, and, and we think that players and people on the inside are really the only ones that sort of keep track of it. So... We want to give this a shot. The ATP does a great job with their app, and you can see, you know, career prize money pretty quickly. So I just want to throw some names out and just see how close you can get to the number. Right. My guess is that you're going to be really good at this, but let's see. Wayne Ferreira. $14 million. Almost 10 on the nose. You're, you're high. You need oh, to are we talking? Career prize money. Singles, doubles. Yeah, what about all Don't, the exhibitions and stuff? No, no, that doesn't count. So you think you made another four? <laughs> is what you're saying? In exos? That's pretty Davis good. Davis Cup? How does that work? You get paid for Davis Cup? Some countries do, some countries don't. What, what does America do? Uh, they, I think they were getting paid 100 grand. Now they're, they've reduced it to like 70, and then there's a point total bonus at the end of the year. Andy Roddick. 23 million. 20.6. Okay. Solid. 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 I mean, you made 20.6 in how long? 15 years, probably? 14, 13? Peter Corda. 9 million. 10.4. Okay. Wasn't he fined a million dollars? Or did he get fined for the Australian that he had to give it all back? Yeah. The whole thing? Did he do it? Did he pay him back? I think he had to. Or didn't he retire so he didn't have to? Something happened in there. Well, speaking of that Australian. It's, so let's then, say plus or minus. A million on Corda, nine million. You saying he gave back? You saying he gave back a mil? They didn't. T- they didn't take it off the website. 
<laughs> Let's see here. Um, you want to call him and ask? Him? No, no, but I mean, since, since we're talking about Peter Corder, we may as well to, to his uh, Australian Open opponent, Marcelo Rios. Guess how much? Oh, that's a good one. No, listen, you, hold on. Listen. 13 million. Career one, one loss record, 391 and 192, and he won 18 titles. In like seven years. Quick. So yeah. so keep that into your you you how much did you say? I said thirteen. Nine point seven. Some players it seems like they really chase the money like a Wayne Ferreira. Well he wanted to quit a year earlier um than he did. And we were in Rod- Nottingham, the grass tournament there, and I had a long talk with him and he promised me he'd play one more year even though he hated tennis and he wanted to quit. And the main reason was because he was going to get another $3.5 million from Nike, and I really thought he should take that. Alex Karecha, former world number two, 17 titles. $8 million. 10.4. Okay. Uh, Gustavo <laughs> Quirin. $8 million. See, no, see you, don't, you, don't, you don't know. You're not Quirin, good at this. I don't know Quirin at all. But he's career, listen, former world number one, multiple Grand Slam winner, and won 20 titles. Okay, so it has to be around eighteen million. Fourteen point eight. I thought you'd be better at this for some reason. Okay, I don't think I've been bad. I t- I don't think you've been good. Okay. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to hit balls with you, get an evaluation on their kid, uh, or just like have an opportunity to play with someone that you know played with everyone in tennis. Uh, how do they do that? Well, I'm I'm actually getting into Roger Federer's new business called Courts with a K and you can reserve time with me through Courts or they can contact the Jack Kramer Club directly Jeff always a pleasure Uh, this is under review and you are released I want to say thank you to Jeff Tarango and his wife Jessica for letting us record this interview in their home today's show was produced by Scott Tuft edited by Max Loeb our composer is Brian Senti and the masterful Matt Degnan did our mix. I want to thank everyone for listening. Putting this together is a blast, but it's also a bit of a learning curve. I promise you we're only going to get better. We're off to the open this week, but we will be back soon with lots more tennis talk with the most interesting people in the sport. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And please tell your friends. Thank you for listening, and until the next time, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.